You're listening to Insight. Howdy, my welcome. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, growing the marine industry and preserving the taonga that is the Marlborough Sounds. A new plan is being drawn up for the Marlborough Sounds to guide renewal of close to 350 marine farm licences. These farms have been operating under rules which predate the Resource Management Act, which has led to random growth and a ribbon development that traces significant lengths of the Sounds coastline. But what impact could any new plan have? Havelock is a thriving seaside township and a main gateway to the Marlborough Sounds. This halfway point on the highway between Nelson and Blenheim has the hallmarks of a town built on the fortunes and misfortunes of marine farming. The next chapter in its future might well be shaped by steps to bring more than half the Sound's marine farms in line with modern rules. The Marlborough District Council is now figuring out a process that will help streamline consent renewals for more than half of its 580 marine farms by the year 2024. I'm Tracy Neal and this insight explores whether a new marine plan will serve the interests of an industry wanting to expand, as well as environmental groups and recreational users concerned about an area under increasing pressure from competing interests. John Young knows as well as anyone that marine farming is not for the faint-hearted. The muscle industry pioneer has been down and out enough times to know. I'm joining him on a routine inspection of multiple farms dotted around the Palora Sound, a Charlie check he calls it. And this leads out to the Palora Sounds. Mr Young is the head of Havelock-based Clearwater Mussels. The multi-million dollar company operates 95 farms in waters across the top of the South Island. These waters were discovered in the 1960s to be an ideal location for green-lipped mussels. Clearwater Mussels owns most of those 95 farms. It also manages others on behalf of shareholders and some it manages for contract growers, including those owned by various iwi. They're all now subject to the renewals process. Mr Young explains how it all started with the Marine Farms Act in 1971. And then as, as it progressed and we needed more space, there was a lot of infilling, so there were farms um, might have added a triangle to the end and then extended the lines to get a little bit more production um, and it went through a consenting process. It was so complicated that they grandfathered all the licences through to 2024. He says the early leases, mainly for oyster farms in the north, offered exclusive rights to keep others out of the water space but the advent of the mussel industry changed that by allowing public access in and around the farms. Marlborough has about 1,800 kilometres of coastline that many people live on, play on or earn a living from. Zoning allows for marine farming over about 20% of the sounds, but current consents cover about 2.1% of the area. Mr Young was among the first to set up there and says the original idea was to keep entire areas for different uses. The Plora Sounds, uh, in particular, was thought that in the 1970s this was the working sounds and that the Queen Charlotte Sound was mainly developing as a tourist, uh, not a destination, but there were a lot of uh, batch holders, you know, building batches that was quite accessible. So marine farming was kept out of there purposely and it was thought that having it here in a, in a working sound there wouldn't be an overlap of different special you know, interest groups. 
Beatrix Bay is deep within Polaris Sound. It's an example of how intensive mussel farming has evolved without much control. As we bob around in Mr Young's fizz boat, checking mussel lines in a brewing southerly, he explains how that ad hoc growth happened. There's a ribbon of farms right around the shoreline of Beatrix Bay. I guess it was one of those areas, you know, that was remote enough, you know, as far as recreation went. It, I, I guess it sort of evolved as one of those places where no one else really wanted it. <laughs> um, and so marine farming got quite a foothold in here. Mr Young believes the industry poses little risk to the environment and supports his view with both a background in science and years of observation of the sound's biodiversity. He says there's huge scope for growth, but the industry will need more help if that's to happen. Good morning, Alistair Simon speaking. How can I help you? The Thank rules you around the care and protection of the Marlborough Sounds are the joint responsibility of the council and government. Aquaculture, fishing, mahinga kai or traditional food gathering sites, tourism and recreation all depend on the resource being nurtured. The Mayor of Marlborough, Alistair Soman, says the renewals process is a landmark chance to map out a future for the sounds, a chance like no other to tidy up the front yard. Before the consensus farms were licensed, uh, you know, a farmer said, look, I want to put a marine farm down in front of my place down there, just off the beach, and we'd probably say, yeah, that sounds pretty good, go for it. And we've got this ribbon development that's developed right around the sounds. And the suggestions are maybe that's not the best way that we should be marine farming. Mr Soman says the first step has been for the council to pull aquaculture from its draft environment plan and handle it as a separate case. Really that piece of work wasn't complete. We weren't happy with it and we didn't want to hold up the rest of the plan. And I think that idea has been well received. Uh, we've currently um, put together a working party of uh, all interests, environmentalists, sounds residents, the industry, the government, uh, the council, to look at the best way of handling um, the management of the sounds going forward. And although it would cause considerable upset and disruption, there is a possibility that some farms may have to move. We need to have a look at the situation. Um, we need to know uh, um, what's the carrying capacity of the sounds, what is the carrying capacity of some areas, are farms better suited in different areas. Um, we've even suggested you know, we might have farms in the wrong place currently that may need to move. This is a whole overview of the future of the sounds and how it might be best managed. A report last year by the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research shows Marlborough produces 62% of the country's aquaculture product. It generates close to $300 million in annual export sales, but the report also shows there's growing concern about the cost of renewing consents and the impact it's having on industry security. Meanwhile, the government supports a national industry target of $1 billion in annual sales by 2025. The Environment Minister Nick Smith is a regular visitor to the Sounds as a keen kayaker and fisher. He is also the Nelson Member of Parliament and appreciates the city's proximity to the sea. I meet him at Tahununui Beach to seek his views on the Sounds. He says the Marlborough Council has an important task ahead. One of the really challenging issues that we have in the sounds is that we've had this pretty innovative Kiwi number eight wire culture that has developed this fantastic muscle industry that earns 
$300 million a year for us as a country. And now that industry faces tens of millions of dollars just to reconsent what they're already doing. Uh, the government's view is that that is not necessarily a good use of either the ratepayers' money or, for that matter, the muscle farmers. We have the capacity under the Resource Management Act to develop national environment standards. We've done that, for instance, in the telecommunications industry. So rather than having 86 different rules across the country as to where you can put a cell phone tower, we've done the same thing right now with forestry. We were developing a national environment standard for forestry. We are looking and working with industry to do the same in respect of aquaculture. Dr Smith believes it's possible to have a strong aquaculture industry while still ensuring the sounds remains a special place for people to enjoy. But he's aware the industry wants a simpler set of guidelines. John Young says his firm recently spent more than $100,000 to reconsent a licence held for 30 years on one farm alone. He says it's the type of thing that could prevent the industry continuing. I can't imagine that we're going to go through a process where they're not reconsented. And uh, But what we can't do, we cannot afford to go through the process that I've recently been through, um, renewing a farm. I mean, these are, these are $100,000 plus exercises per farm. Every objector is there, every pressure group is there. Pine trees and Chikiweka surround Ashley Wag's property in Squally Cove. The land deep within Wairangi Bay, accessed by sea off Tasman Bay, has been a family stronghold since the early 20th century. Mr Wagg has been going there since the mid-1940s. The master mariner returned from an overseas career in the mid-1980s with his wife Maureen to find the once remote bay host to a growing number of marine farms. Initially it happened quite slowly and there were only a few farms in the bay it was quite acceptable, actually, because um, it wasn't too intrusive. But then suddenly they started putting more and more farms in the bay, and there was absolutely no planning to it. People just asked for a farm where they wanted it, and they got it, basically, and now it's ten farms in the bay. I mean, in daytime, mussel farms are not a problem for boating. They are visual pollution. But at night time, they become invisible... The farms now come to within 50 metres of the shoreline in front of his batch. He says the farms are a major navigation hazard which make night journeys near impossible. Mr Wagg reckons a safer option would be to place them in the middle of the bay. If it had been looked at properly and some planning done, the much more sensible approach to it would have been to put a block of mid-bay farms down the middle of the bay leaving a couple of hundred metres each side clear to the foreshore and with one passage through it halfway down or something. And not to be lit as marine farms, but to be lit as a navigation obstruction. Mr Wagg doesn't dispute the industry's value, but suggests its development could have had better guidance from the maritime sector. I think marine farming is quite an important industry, but it has been basically badly handled insofar that it would have been much better left with something like Maritime New Zealand to organise marine farming in New Zealand. 
But Mayor Alistair Soman suggests some of these ideas are in the pipeline. We might look at bay-by-bay solutions or put a grid over the sounds and look at areas, uh, how they might be managed, and I think that's the way they'll do it. Um, They'll map out the sounds and and look at the challenges in those areas. They might find that there's too many uh, marine farms for the environment there that we may have to thin them out. There may be other areas where the capacity is greater. So, yes, it's very, very difficult uh, to look at them on a a case-by-case basis. He says another reason aquaculture is being treated as a special case is because they're waiting for the government's national direction on aquaculture. It aims to provide greater certainty for councils, communities and industry about its management. A final cabinet decision was due by the end of this year, but Dr Smith says it's going to be later than that. It's a work in progress. There's been a little bit of slippage in time frame. My focus is more on getting it right rather than being it done quick. Uh, But my view, it'll make a job for the council a lot easier if there are national standards. It'll provide a lot more certainty for the aquaculture industry if they know what those rules are. The Marlborough Council has recently announced a plan to charge people for using water space in the sounds. These coastal occupancy charges have been talked about for years and would apply to owners of jetties, boat sheds, moorings and marine farms. The Council has proposed the fees through its draft environment plan to help cover the cost of coastal monitoring. Dr Smith says they're justified, including for marine farms, but there has to be a trade-off. I think there is a longer-term trade-off that needs to be worked through where it is fair that those that use marine space make a contribution for the use of it. But that trade-off has got to be matched up with a huge reduction in the very expensive millions and millions of dollars, years and years of lawyers arguing, uh, that has made such a big expense for whether it be the mussel farmer or the salmon farmer trying to get additional space. The council says the fight over plans by New Zealand King Salmon to expand in the sounds highlighted the need for cooperation between industry, council and the community. Three recently owned salmon farms were eventually approved by a 2013 board of inquiry. Four sites were approved when the company wanted nine as Insight explored two and a half years ago as part of an investigation into marine reserves. The Protection Authority's independent board of inquiry has ruled that in creating four new farms, the economic benefits outweigh the environmental and landscape issues, which they deemed to be minimal at the fore. The environmental sites. watchdog group Guardians of the Sounds remains an outspoken opponent. A spokesperson, Claire Pinder, says the decision to grant space for even three farms was the thin end of the wedge. With somewhere like the Marlborough Sounds, it's all about, I only need a little bit, just a little bit of water to put the salmon farm in, or we just want some of the scallops. If we can all do a little bit, instead of trying to take a little bit, maybe we'll have a better outcome for the Sounds. Mrs Pinder and her husband split their time between a home in Blenheim and a batch in Tory Channel. Salmon farms arrived after they bought the property on the basis the channel in Queen Charlotte Sound wasn't suited to marine farming. Mrs Pinder says they're now fishing up cod full of pellets fed to salmon. She says the Guardians are now on the new working group, but she says its motives aren't yet entirely clear. That's great to see people coming around the table, but... Not if it's a predetermined outcome. Is the predetermined outcome more salmon farms? Or 
is the outcome going to be trying to get the best solution for the Marlborough Sounds, which balances, yes, those jobs and the, the money, but also the environment and also the community groups. The recent government report on the state of the environment says aquaculture is rapidly expanding, but there's limited information on how it impacts the marine environment. It says shellfish farms can affect the base of the marine food chain, habitats can change from nutrient enrichments, and the byproducts of finfish such as faeces and uneaten food can smother seabeds. The report also notes that marine mammals and seabirds can be displaced by aquaculture or tangled in its structures, and it can also increase the risk of pests and disease spreading. Mrs Pinder says marine biodiversity is declining, and there's a lot of pressure on the sounds. According to a recent assessment by the Marlborough District Council, the um, marine biodiversity in the sounds is already declining, and there's a lot of pressure on the sounds, and it's not just marine farming. It's the salmon farming, the mussel farming, the forestry industry, recreational, commercial fishing, human beings, climate change. It makes this whole process of looking to the future of the sounds incredibly complex, and it all needs to be considered. Mrs Pinder says she's pleased, though, that water quality monitoring has increased in recent years. The council is required by law to monitor coastal water quality, and New Zealand King Salmon has had to upgrade its monitoring of operations. A specialist report in 2014 noted the original salmon farms operated under rules spanning nearly three decades and under environmental quality standards described as ambiguous. A marine biologist, Rob Davidson, says scientists have been gathering data and observing the impacts of marine farming for 10 to 15 years. He prepares environmental assessments for farmers applying for new sites or wanting to extend an existing site. Mr Davidson says the concerns are valid, but there are bigger worries. There was a really good study done in about 2012 by Alison McDiamond from NIWA, and she put together about 100 experts from around New Zealand and internationally looking at all the different human impacts on the marine environment in New Zealand. And obviously the big ones came out as being the global issues of global warming and acidification and things like that. The next ones down, most of them were to do with the effects from uh, the catchments, things like sediment, contaminants. Up the top was also physical disturbance and the dredging and trawling. In terms of the impact of aquaculture, that study put it at about 19th equal. So it's there, but it's not up with the biggies, if you like. Mr Davidson says discussion around ribbon development is interesting. He says there have been efforts in the past to put farms away from the shoreline, but boaties got upset because of the navigation hazard the farms presented in the middle of the bays. But Rob Davidson is certain of one thing. There's no room for any more. The coast is full. Stepping back and having a fresh look at it may be a good idea, but obviously the community has a capacity on what they can accept, and that's a really important consideration. From a biological point of view, I'm constantly pushing farms further away from the shore because it's around the edges of where all the biological values often are. So I'm pushing them off and then the navigational people are trying to push them on and so, so it's a real balancing act. Contention around salmon farming is why the council has placed it in a separate category for the renewals process. 
A King Salmon director and former chief executive Paul Steer expects the process to create a huge paper war, but also a fresh chance to get back around the table. He says there's been no major change in salmon volume since he joined the company in 1994 and blames the slow growth on legislative barriers. A moratorium was applied to new marine farming in the Sounds in 1996, but fresh legislation in 2011 lifted this. The um, law regulations as they stood in the 90s were such that there was just no possibility of obtaining uh, additional leases. Uh, both the Labour government under Helen Clark and then latterly uh, under John Key uh, looked to amend the law. It's only in more recent years that um, these things have uh, opened up a little bit. But even then, uh, New Zealand King Salmon's experience using the EPA process was a, a, a very, very expensive, protracted and exhaustive process there that somehow needs to uh, change and, and improve. Mr Steer says the company wants more engagement with the community, but it goes both ways. He says concerns about finfish farming are largely unfounded. Uh, yet um, a lot of their information is, is absolutely wrong, uh, and they're reliant on overseas, usually internet sources and the like. Um, but we are engaging with a good proportion of the community, and we want to do more of that. I think it's important that the community understands what our aspirations, or the finfish farming aspirations are, and we also listen to their concerns too. Mrs Pinder says Guardians doesn't trust the information the company used to back its case during the Board of Inquiry process, and she doesn't expect that to change. She says it tossed around figures about potential earnings and jobs much too liberally. We can only make the best decisions when we have the information, and that's that scientific information, that's the monitoring information, and that's the financial information. And it has to be clear, and it has to be transparent. The accounts have got to be up to date, and we've got to see things like cash flows. And if they're sensitive, let MB see them. They can have their security clearances in there. It doesn't necessarily have to be out in the public arena. But let the decision makers and the policy makers have the information to make meaningful decisions that are for the benefit of the environment and the benefit for New Zealanders. Where are the jobs? Where's the economic benefit? Where's the economic benefit to Marlborough when most of the jobs are in Nelson? And yet Marlborough is bearing the brunt of any pollution from these farms. Mrs Pinder says one of their biggest gripes has been that marine farms use public assets but don't pay for the water space they're using. That could soon change if the water space charges are introduced. New Zealand King Salmon says it has no issue with coastal occupancy charges but they have to be applied fairly and universally across all users of water space. Mr Steer says they've nothing to hide. Look, we've been endorsed by the um, Monterey Aquarium. We've been endorsed in the past by the British Humane Society. Uh, we, have, we, have, we are open. We have anyone to come out and see our practices. Uh, we have nothing to hide and much to gain. It is, after all, it's our backyard. It's our playground as well as anybody else's. Iwi interests in aquaculture have expanded post-treaty settlements. About $200 million was injected into Marlborough and local iwi Tiatiawa used a portion of its share to boost its marine farming ambitions. Tiatiawa is mana whenua in Queen Charlotte Sound but has a presence across Te Tau Ihu, the top of the South Island. 
I caught up with the chair of the Iwi Trust, Glenis Payne, at the office overlooking Waikawa Marina. She says there are bigger threats than marine farming to a treasured environment. There is a lot of competing interests, but for us, um, of most concern is the human pressure on our fish stocks and our kaimoana stocks. We've fought long and hard for our aquaculture rights, and, and I suppose a good example of that is that we spent 20 years in the Environment Court with the TDC just fighting to be able to uh, practice aquaculture. So for, for us, Queen Charlotte Sound is a taonga. Mrs Payne says a new marine plan will give iwi some certainty about investing in aquaculture, which is a risk not taken lightly. She believes the industry should take greater note of the principles iwi apply to fisheries management. She says what's good for Te Atiawa is good for the wider community. We go to great lengths. It's not all about the bottom line. It's about balance. And when you say balance, balance is in everything in the way you live your life and in the way you run your business, and that's how we approach it. You know, we're kaitiaki here, and part of that ethos is ensuring the modi or the health and well-being um, of the whole environment, not just the, the CMA, the coastal marine area. So we would not do anything um, to compromise that. Mrs Payne says it's the Trust's job to provide opportunities for its people and aquaculture is a natural fit. We'll be here forever, so it's Tiatiawa's Trust's job to provide opportunities for our people and being an iwi with interest in aquaculture, this um, includes participating in the development of the region's aquaculture industry. Back in Havelock, a line of trucks comes and goes from one of the country's largest muscle processing plants. Sanford says it's proud to keep the jobs in Marlborough where the muscles are growing. Its factory employs 230 staff daily across two nine-hour shifts and the company operates farms across 1,600 hectares in the sounds. The manager, Ted Cully, says uncertainty has shrouded the industry for years. He speaks for the muscle industry when he says concern around the renewals process is unfounded. So I actually think we are looking for the weapons of mass destruction under muscle farms at the moment. I don't think they're there. I think we'll find that, uh, that they are quite sustainable as they are. And you look at, you look at what other organisations around the world say about us. The Monterey Bay Aquarium, who is the, the seafood watchdog of the world, says we are the most sustainable farming operation in the world. Mr Cully says Sanford has over the years contributed ideas on ways to improve legislation around aquaculture. He says the task faced by the working group raises some interesting possibilities. I think uh, the opportunity is also around to manage the environmental and cumulative effects on a bay-by-bay -bay, um, scenario rather than a farm-by-farm -farm scenario. That sort of also helps answer the community's question and is when is enough enough. Mr Cully says a good outcome for all is essential. I, I would hope that we find a solution for everybody. I mean, um, aquaculture in Marlborough is, is quite a mainstay around um, the, the economic um, performance of the, the district. Uh, that needs to be maintained and improved. Uh, there's lots of science and innovation out there that um, is going to help us with that. Um, I think we just need to do some more talking. 
Claire Pinder from the Guardians of the Sounds also believes a solution is possible. We're all so passionate about the sounds one way or the other. The aquaculture industry is passionate. Community groups such as the Guardians and Friends of Nelson Haven and Polaris and the whole list of them. We're all passionate and it's going to be very, very difficult to come to an agreement. But we can only make the best decisions when we have the information. The Marlborough Council says there's no time frame yet on forming a solution except to say it's expected well ahead of the renewal's final deadline of 2024. I'm Tracy Neal and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. Tracy Neal wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Phil Benj. Do subscribe on iTunes to be able to hear other great programmes, such as Teresa Cowie's insight on the rub between tourism and the environment. 